Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Quirky Corporate Chicks podcast. We're your hosts, Sherry Hayes and Dana Foster, corporate life coaches in private practice. We focus on people who follow their passion and how their lives have been impacted. Real stories, real entrepreneurs, and lots of laughter as we look at where life has taken us. And today, we're here with the lovely Nick Moore from Commercial Edge Consulting from Newcastle, one of my favorite places. Shout out to the Geordies. Uh, welcome, Nick. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. Welcome. <laughs> yes, yeah. we're, we're very excited to have you. I was very fortunate to have met Nick uh, somewhat randomly. I was in Breckenridge and uh, scurrying to get onto the gondola and him and, his, uh, him and his group of friends were already inside and I said, well, is there, there's a room for one more and jumped in and then, uh, and then we got to know each other and it was... It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very brave of you. Yes, it was. It was. Well, six, <laughs> six guys in a gondola, and then you hopped in and squeezed <laughs> in, uh, within, within, the, within the scope of a five-hour, a five-minute gondola trip. I think we kind of uh, got to know each other. You said it was fun. Yeah. Well, and uh, and then it was very, um, you know, I guess what, perhaps fortuitous that I ran into you again over the lunch hour, and I was like, well, yeah. it's meant to yeah. be. I must, uh, I must have a more in-depth conversation with these <laughs> fellows. So. Yeah. And uh, Nick was very, very gracious with his time. And so um, as I got to know Nick, I thought, man, he's a person that we need to have on our podcast. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your career path, I think it's uh, quite a fascinating journey. Okay. Well, I, as of now, I, I have my own consulting business called Commercial Edge Consulting, but it's, it's these days, it's more of a it's a sort of a hybrid between a consulting business and an investment business because I, I work with a, a small number of companies where I sort of act as a chairman or, or non-exec, but I also invest in those companies. Um, and I absolutely love it. Um, it's, I can't quite believe that it's the way I make a living these days um, because, um, as I said to you when I met you, Dana, it's, uh, it's not... Um, it's not something that I imagined doing when I started out in the in my career, but um, no, I mean, it, uh, in terms of what I do now, as I say, I, I have a portfolio of companies. Um, I meet with them regularly. I, I try and assist the management, but I also have some skin in the game as well. Um, and it's a great way of, of earning a living because it means you can um, get really deeply involved with a few a few companies, but see synergies between them and introduce them to people. Uh, but it also allows you to take two weeks off and go to Colorado and ski. And, uh, you know, so you can combine <laughs> pleasure, which uh, it took me a long time to get to that stage in life. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's what I do now. Um, it, not how I started out, I suppose. Um, I, when I started out working, I, I it was back in the eighties. It was, uh, and I, I, um, I went from uh, from school to university. I studied business at university, and then I went straight into into work, which is what you did back in the early eighties. And um, I, I joined a big corporate. I joined Unilever, um, which you, probably in the US you know more as Lever Brothers, but you mm -hmm. know, Unilever, a big organisation, and um, just joined there as a as a marketing trainee and. Um, <clears throat> did the whole corporate thing and uh, you know I did it for quite a long while I, I, I initially I worked uh, in the UK for an organization that manufactured um, 
decorative products like wall coverings and um, you know home decor. And I look back on it and I think, goodness me, how on earth did I do that? Because I, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't a great designer or anything like that. But you, you join Unilever and they they send you off to some random company within the Unilever group. And I happened to get sent to to a wall covering company, which was based in Newcastle. And that was the beginning of my love affair. Ah. That's how I came here. But um, I think I worked out fairly early on in my life that I I was, where I lived and who I worked with were very important to me and that I wasn't completely driven by a career. Um, You know, because I think, you could, I saw a lot of my friends back in the 80s and, and uh, early 90s who were really career driven and would, would just go wherever the job was and go and live in what to my mind was uninteresting places and, and mm-hmm. do uninteresting things. And I think at the time it was a difficult struggle because I, you know, I, I saw colleagues and when you're younger you kind of measure yourself against other people and, and how they're doing and I you know, I probably thought, oh, goodness, should I be going for this job? Should I? Uh, but there was something just stopping me doing it because I realized perhaps that where you live and, um, and the life you have, it's, it's the whole package, isn't it? Work is part mm-hmm. of it, but it was the whole package. So I actually mm. tried to manage a career around where I lived. Um, and the northeast of England, particularly back then, uh, wasn't the easiest of places to build a career. It wasn't London. Um, it's, you know, and it's still not the easiest of places, but it's a wonderful place. Uh, and I think if you can do all right in the Northeast, it's a, it's a super place to live. It's, uh, is it Sherry or Cherry? Sorry. It's Sherry. Sherry. Sherry, yeah. Sherry said, you know. You, yeah, you, it's not Sherry like Sherry Blair either. Yeah. No, it's Sherry. No, well, it's, <laughs> yeah. although he was an MP for somewhere near here, Mr. Blair. He was, I know. Yeah, you know, actually, when I yeah. lived in London, Jeremy Corbyn was my MP. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Yeah, well, you know, he, yeah. he could be going far, really. <laughs> we'll he could, but, uh, or not. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an election day today in the UK. <laughs> I know, okay. I know. But, um, so you lived in Newcastle anyway, before I, they I, built I, up I, the I, Quayside, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I did it. I, I, I was in the uh, in uh, Unilever for a short while. I got a transfer to America, and um, that was one of the happiest days of my life. I was told one day, uh, I was called into the boss's office, and they said, Nick, uh, we would like you to go and uh, transfer to our US office, which was just outside of Philadelphia in New Jersey, a place called Cherry Hill. And I'd already. I'm know? from Princeton. I'm from Princeton. Oh, well, there you go. New <laughs> and that's where I Boys live. Oh, and, wow. Um, I was so excited by that because I'd always, I'd been just fascinated by America as a kid, American music and, and uh, you know, just American culture. And I remember at the time there was a big series on the TV, a guy called Alan Wicker, who was doing a, a travelogue program all about America. And I was absolutely loving it and thinking this is a crazy country. It was, at the time there were all sorts of features about California and great, you know, the crazy folk in California back in the eighties and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go out there. And I got the opportunity to go and work in the U S and, uh, and it was absolutely fantastic. I spent a year, um, basically running a distribution sales network, working with some guys in, in New Jersey and, and traveling all over the USA. And, um, so that, you know, my, my love affair with America grew during that year. I, I got to see an awful lot of the country um travel an awful lot meet some interesting people and some of those people that i that i met back in the mid 80s i'm still friendly with um 
uh, you know, even in fact went to see some in Colorado this um, this trip. So uh, yeah, that that was great. That was really good. Then I came back and I spent a bit of time in um, back in the factory in the UK. But it, I found it a bit difficult to be honest, because when you've gone and travelled around the US, it was quite hard to come back and do the same thing. So I decided I would go into consulting. And uh, I, I left um, the Unilever company. I joined a company called PwC, Pricewaterhouse, um, and went into consulting, which was in some ways awful and in some ways brilliant. Um, <laughs> it was awful in that, <laughs> uh, in hindsight, I, it was the wrong time for me to go and do this. Um, you know, at the time, these big accounting firms were buying in um, people from big companies like Procter and Gamble and, and Unilever and others, and they were trying to sell them back to industry. Um, so they were basically treating people like me and, and, and others as fodder, I suppose. You know, come in and we'll sell, sell, sell you back to industry at twice the price that the industry paid for you. And I, I didn't realize that at the time. I can now look back and say it. Uh, and it was really difficult. And it was at the time of a. Um, of a big recession going on as well. So it, that was a really difficult time and it really knocked my confidence a bit because you, I found myself sometimes in meetings with like the marketing director of, of British Telecom. And I'm, you know, I'm like a 20, 28, 29 year old guy go, supposed to go and tell the marketing director of British Telecom how to run his business. And I thought, well, how on earth could I do that? And so it wasn't great. It wasn't, you know, I think you've got to be super confident and, and uh, super, I don't, I don't know how people do it when they haven't got the experience. But so that was the bad side. The upside was what a fantastic group of people. And there's a theme really for me, which is about people in work. And uh, that, that, that three year period of my career was, again, looking back on it now, just, just probably the most valuable in terms of the, the group of people that I met because I'm still in touch with so many of them and the, you know these are people that have gone on and spread throughout industry into different roles and, and either through work or through social things I mean a couple of two or three of the people uh Donna that you met when I was when I was away you know they, these are people that I met through that period back then even so so you know I look back on that period fondly um but actually, at the time I left it, and I only did it for three years, it had sucked a lot of confidence out of me because I, I, I just I think that if you're going to go and tell people how to run a business, you ought to have done it yourself and you ought to know how to do it. And I just did it too early in my career. Um, so I actually left, and I, and I think you know perhaps because I wasn't feeling super confident about everything, I, I went back and did something very similar to what I'd been doing before. And I joined um, a group called Forbo. Um, the, they're a Swiss group. Uh, in a very similar industry, in the home decor industry, and um, uh, that's what I did in the nineties. And I, I, but that was actually a really good, a good time for about ten years because I, that was the time when I really did learn how to run a business. Um, the group that owned us, Forbo, sold the business, and that's where things started to go a little bit. Uh, well, should we say a bit, a bit haywire? Um, um, and again, it's one of those. A bit like the Price Wardhouse experience is one of those things which at the time felt terrible, but uh, but as I look back on it, it was extremely valuable because we got sold to a, a German group, and the the German group were not great. They the, they were run by somebody who um, basically bled all the cash out of businesses that he ran, 
and left the businesses with not much to 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 fend of to you know to to survive with. So uh, and then one day we got a message that this parent the parent company of ours run by this lovely chap had gone bankrupt. So we were myself and a colleague of mine were left holding the fort in the UK of of a business where effectively you know it's a bit like if you're you're at home you're you're a kid at home and your parents suddenly desert the house and you're you're left to fend for yourself and that's what happened to us and uh, that was tough um and you know really difficult when you've got a, a um yeah maybe i think you know 100 a couple of hundred people in the in the business and you have to work out what to do um but we got through it and uh, I'd learned a lot in the process and uh, learned how to sell a business because we had to sell half the business. And I remember the day when we, uh, myself and my colleague Phil, you know, thought, brilliant, we sold half of this business and we'd got it a pretty reasonable price for it. And we were going to use the money that we'd got to invest in the, the half of the business that we were going to keep. So it was all this lovely plan and everything had worked well. And I'd gone out and negotiated the sale of the business with somebody and everything was great. And then the money hit the bank and that was fantastic. And we to <laughs> As press. it is. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what's going to come next? Can you, <laughs> you guess? You lost it all. You lost we didn't it all. Know, well, yes and no. What happened was the bank said, oh, that's brilliant. Uh, this amount of money's uh, come into the bank. That's fantastic. We'll have that. And, uh, you know, we were naive, really. We just assumed that, um, hey, you know, we, we had a bank facility, some, some bank lending. And, uh, of course, we just assumed we'll get this money in and we'll spend it. And the bank had, what the bank had assumed is, ah, oh, we'll get the money in, we'll shut the facility down and, and we'll leave you with nothing. And that's pretty much what happened. So we had this lovely plan to spend a million quid. And uh, the bank said, no, we'll have that. And, by the way, we're closing the account. So, I, yeah, you learn from it. And, again, we got through it. Mm. We got we got through the whole thing and um now I in hindsight how would you have done that differently or is that just like a completely unforeseeable thing that had happened well anyone who who's done it before would have said that's very foreseeable but we were we were had, had been thrown in at the deep end uh without any support from above so in hindsight i, <laughs> I don't know, put it in a secret account or something i don't know. <laughs> uh, you know i think in hindsight we would have gone and told the bank exactly what was happening in advance and we would have said if we do this will you continue to support us and um and hopefully they would have said yes but you know what i learned from that was the importance of keeping your banker on board and, and, and keeping them informed of, of what you're doing it's obvious when i think of it now but at the time mm -hmm. you know, we were um you know we'd we'd, we'd had a we'd had a boss who'd, who'd who'd left in a in a rush and um you know, we, we were just thrown in the deep end. So, yeah, I mean, I think the lesson from that is always keep your bank informed and keep a, a strong relationship with your bank. Um, so anyway, we got it, it all got sorted in the end. At that point, I kind of thought I would go and find a job, I suppose. I started sending my CV out to people saying, hey, all the, all the international experience I've got and oh, this, that and the other. But if I'm honest, I had limited enthusiasm for you find yourself writing cvs and, and sending them and you think oh, you know are you passionate about 
ironing boards? Oh, <laughs> are you, you know, do, and I said, no, I'm not really, and I'm not that bothered about these things. It's not, and I realized that for, for a long time I'd been doing a job, I hadn't been following a passion. And, um, and it was fine, and you have to do these things, we all have to earn a living, but I was just struggling. And I think because I wasn't giving it any enthusiasm, I, you know, I wasn't getting an awful lot back. And um, what, a chance meeting, while I was looking around for a, um, a job, I bumped into an old colleague from the, my old consulting days at Pricewaterhouse Days, who's a business angel. And he, um, he's a very successful uh, business angel. He, he started off as a business angel about 1990, and he, he, he and his partner ended up creating a company which was in the what we call the FTSE 100, you know, so one of the biggest yeah. 100 companies in the UK. And uh, yeah, I bumped into him in a restaurant. It was a chance meeting, and he said, what are you up to, Nick? And I said, oh, yeah, between jobs, looking for something, blah, 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 mm -hmm. doing stuff. And he said, well, you know, while you're doing stuff, maybe you could help me with some stuff. And um, he invited me to go and look at a company that he and some other business angels had invested in that was struggling, that was um, that had burned through a lot of cash, and that was um, they didn't know whether to put more money in. It, it had been through two rounds of financing. They didn't know whether they'd put any more money in, and uh, they wanted somebody to go and have a look. And it was a it was a very fortuitous dinner, really, because. Um, a, I was given that opportunity, and B, the company asked me to go and look at. I understood it. I understood the sector. I understood the market, and it was just one of those lovely confluences of opportunity, or whatever you want to call it. So, I went into that company. Uh, uh, it's a company called D-Line, and um, at the time, it was uh, it, yes, it was it was early days, but it had gone through a lot of money. But I, I came back from that uh, time I spent with the business saying I thought it was a good business. I thought, most importantly, the person running it was excellent um, and the, the, the product was good. Um, I just had a few suggestions on marketing strategy that they might want to look at. And I gave the report expecting that to be the end of it, but what came out of it was uh, an invitation to go and become chairman of that company. And that was 12 years ago and I'm still the chairman of that company. And um, that company now is uh, exporting to 26 countries, um, a, a very nicely successful business, but still run by Paul, the guy who, who was running it from the beginning. Uh, the investors, uh, Jeremy is still an investor. There are a couple of others. A couple of investors have left over the years, but that's, that's uh, been a really successful story, and that's been the bedrock of what's now become my career because... Um, I accepted when when I when I delivered the consultancy report. They said to me, "We like your report. Um, we'd like you to become chairman." And I thought, "Oh, yeah, is that?" I hadn't envisaged that as a career, and it's not a full time job. Is it something I want to do? Um, but but when I was when I was there, there was a, a venture capital firm had also invested in the company, and they said. Um, if you want to do this and take it on, we've got some others that we might want you to have a look at as well. And so that became the start of me working with a small number of businesses, excuse me. <laughs>
<laughs> alcohol free. It's an alcohol free it's a, it, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't judging. I wasn't judging. Hey. I thought, you know, America's favorite German beer. <laughs> in the evening, doesn't matter. Now, yeah. do you feel like when when he first approached you and you started working with him, do you think did you kind of get like this sense of this is what I'm supposed to be doing, or was there still some hesitation? I Oh, there was definitely hesitation. Definitely. I didn't know whether I could carve a career out doing this. At, the t at that stage of my life 12 years ago, I still needed income. Uh, you know, I wasn't uh, um, uh, an Elon Musk or something. <laughs> I'm not, obviously. Uh, you know, I'm a very, you know, ordinary guy. But um, no, it was very, but, but, and time went on. And what happened was, and I think something that I did was having decided I would set up my own bit I decided to set up my own business so I said okay I'll take this on I was offered a couple of other opportunities to do similar work with other companies and my accountant said you should set up a company and do this as a living and I was very hesitant and I took it on and then for several years I would be partly driven by fear I think um, I just took all the work I could get because you just you know never know when it's going to run out and I was so I felt so fortunate to be doing it and i was enjoying it but i took all the work i could get and um you know that's fine when you're selling your time obviously the more time you sell the, the more you bill um but you can do too much and um you know i actually did get to the point where that happened i mean i built the business for for about six or seven years and alongside working with lots of companies in different ways I was also I also have a small other property business and so on and um yeah I, I just kept going 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 and then I hit a bit of a brick wall um because round about well, you know about five or six years ago uh it was just one of these things that happened and um where I a couple of things just went wrong in in a couple of the businesses I was working with. I I uncovered a um, I uncovered a fraud in one of the businesses that I was working with, uh, which was quite a serious fraud. In fact, the, the the person that I well, when it was uncovered and we we got it all wound up, the guy ended up going to prison for he got a five oh, year wow. he got a five year sentence for quite a serious fraud. And that in itself, I, I, in in hindsight, I think people say you did well to spot that and you know well done for having the tenacity to sort it out but at the time i felt responsible because i was a, a director of that company and then there were a couple of other things that weren't going quite right with a couple of other companies and um just you know any single one of them would have been manageable plus i have a property portfolio and um I decided with my brother to to um, buy some property in, in Essex, where we're from, and we bought a bit of property, and, and we thought it was a nice, simple renovation, and it turned out to be anything but simple. It was an awful lot of. It was, have you seen the film The Money Pit? Yes, Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. Yes, know, I have done. You know, we bought yeah. the Money Pit, the British version, and. Um, <laughs> So a, a lot of things went wrong and I, to be frank, I just, you know, went into a, a difficult stage where, um, you know, it was probably like a depression to be frank, you know, and, and I think the work had, the work had built up too much and it was just too much to cope with. And so, um, when I hit the, it was 2014, I think, um, it was just, 
yeah, too much to cope with. Now, fortunately, I mean, I was able to to take a step back and um, and move away from some of the companies, and it forced me into a a reevaluation of of what I was doing. You know, I had to. Uh, yeah, I thought to, I had to think to myself, why am I doing this, and am I doing it right? And I clearly can't be doing it right if I didn't spot a fraud and all that. And it, 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 it forced. It was a difficult year. I had a difficult year. No, no two ways about it. But it forced me to reevaluate everything that I was doing, and I realised. And this was the real turning point where I went from really quite enjoying something to loving what I'm doing. And it took a difficult year to get there. But what I worked out in that year was that I shouldn't just be going out and selling all my time and doing any bits of work that, that I felt I, I could. I should really focus more closely on a, on a small number of, of businesses that I really enjoy. Um, so did you so, think you, sorry to interrupt, but did you yeah, think at that sure. point you stopped kind of operating after, uh, from a place of fear and, and resting a bit now knowing that, that you wanted to be more concise about how you spent your time eventually i did yeah and that's mm -hmm. that's very definitely where i got to it, it took a process of um, deep introspection too much introspection really but it took a took a, a, a while to work it out mm -hmm. uh, but yeah i mean you know i went through let's say i had a difficult year but at the end of it came out of came out of it and um the business reshaped itself and I really because I'd been investing in I'd been working with a lot of businesses I'd also been investing in a few businesses some of which I had no involvement in um, and what I learned at the end of it all was that you can you, you shouldn't spread a few things I think first of all you shouldn't spread yourself too thin um, you know you really want to focus on things Secondly, I learned I only want to work with businesses where I can have a significant input because I'd invested in a couple of businesses where I didn't have an input. And, and that's fine if you're investing in, in, say, the FTSE 100 or the Dow Jones or something. But where you're investing in this venture capital world, for me, and it's not for, for other people, it's different. But for me, I like investing in businesses where I have an input. You know, I, I sit on the board or something like that. Um, and I think the third thing is just make sure that the people you work with are, you know, you're on the same wavelength. The company where there was a fraud, you know, I always had a funny feeling about a couple of the people there, but well, one in particular, and that, mm. that room to be correct. So I learned, trust your judgment. And if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't, or it's not for you. Trust so, your gut, yeah. So exactly, you know. So I came out of it and I, I scaled back very significantly um, and, and when uh, you look back, were there any early warning signs? Yes, I mean, on on the fraud, the guy was always very uh, late with his numbers, hesitant about sharing numbers. Um, came across as a little bit. He, he used flattery a lot to try and um, in, ingratiate himself with people. And um, yeah, there were certain personality traits. I mean, we, when we had a guy come in and try and sort the business out and he'd done some sports coaching, um, you know, he's a trained sports psychologist and he, he, he called it immediately. He said, the guy's, you know, a nasty, a complete narcissist. Oh, what did he say? Was it? Sociopath. Uh, <laughs> almost. Yeah. You know, but he had yeah. some kind of narcissistic personality disorder uh, where he was, he thought that everything he was doing was was right and, and for the good. 
um, you know, what he was doing was stealing, frankly. He was stealing money from a company and, and spending the money on his own uh, stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, he thought it was all great. And, and it, maybe he genuinely thought it was, you know, so it's, it was a personality disorder, apparently a well-known personality disorder when, when this psychologist came in and saw some of the behaviours. And I, I would pick up on that kind of thing. I hope I, I don't have to work with somebody like that again. But, um, yeah, you know, I think you'd, you'd pick up certain behaviours if people aren't open, if people are, are very reluctant to share information. Um, that's a, a warning sign for me. Um, I think one of the other things too that that struck me in our conversation when I asked you what was you know what was one of the first things you looked at when you were evaluating whether you were going to invest in a company and it was you said the people could you expand a little bit on that is and what specifically you're looking for in those people get the right people on the bus yeah I mean I think yeah you know good people can take a a, a reasonably good idea and and make a successful business Uh, bad people can take a great idea and make a terrible business you know it really is you know if you've, and if you've got that combination of a great idea and great people you're onto a winner what do you look for uh, you know i look for a good work ethic i look mm-hmm. for honesty i look for um passion and it's an overused word passion but you know what i mean a, mm-hmm. a real enthusiasm for the enthusiasm product that's continuous yeah, yeah, but you know, it's a work ethic. It's a it's a, an, a belief in, in in what you're doing. It's the ability to knuckle down when things are hard, to defer gratification, um, for the you know to wait for it rather than think it's all going to come now, and and to steadily build something. Um, and and you know also, a lot of businesses think that they can run on on grants and on shareholders' money. No, you've got to actually generate your own revenue, and and you know people who understand that. Um, so, uh, but they also get on, you get on with them as well. You've got to get on with people. You've got to sit around the board. I mean, my, I can go back to my oldest client, D-Line. You know, we're, we're a tight group. We get on. Yes, sometimes mm-hmm. we don't agree, but we get on. And, and we have a shared vision of what we're trying to do with the company. And we have every faith in the management team to, to do it. Um, so that is, that for me now is the number one. You know, I look at the idea and I've got to like the idea. But if the people aren't right, then no. You know, it's, so I will only want to work with, people that I, I buy into, I buy into what they're doing. And um, when you're a non-exec and I'm a non-exec or chair, sometimes you can have a fairly, it takes a bit of time to build trust with a manager. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get put into a business by a, by a venture capital firm and uh, the manager might think, who's this person? You know, well, yeah, well, I'm not sure about this. And, and you, you know, it can be, uh, it can take a bit of time to, to build trust, but you know, it's not bad actually. It's not bad if you've had a couple of uh, disagreements along the way. Um, because you build, you build trust. It's a finesse. Exactly. Yeah. Trust and you, you build a relationship. So now, um, yeah, I have a limited number of companies. I have a, I have an investment in those companies. Uh, so I, I'm no longer focused on selling my time. I'm focused on working with a small number of companies and helping them succeed and their success enables my success because if the company does well i do well i don't you know really want to go around selling my hours so much i want to mm-hmm. go about my experience and and help those businesses succeed and it's just such a lovely way to make a living it really is because I, I you get some variety you get some flexibility um you get the opportunity to work with young entrepreneurs which i i really enjoy and uh, i you know as i said at the beginning i had no idea i would end up doing this but um, it's a great way to make a living. 
Yeah, no, it sounds like it's been extremely rewarding. And I, I do appreciate your time. This has been very insightful. Yeah, well, I hope, you know, I hope there's uh, something there for you. I don't know, but uh, yeah. It's, uh, and, and the other thing, uh, Dana, is just, you know, you meet people like you. And, uh, you know, that, that was inspiring as well, because, you know, somebody joking at the beginning, you know, somebody who gets into a, <laughs> uh, gets into a, a, a ski lift and has a chat. You've got an interesting story and it's lovely to, to share those things with people. You know, it's much more interesting to talk about working with lots of different things than it is for one company. So. I totally agree. Thank you. You're very yeah. kind. Thank you again for, for your insight and your time today. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you. All right. Well, when, if you're in the UK, do give me a call. Oh, I sure will. Don't you worry. All right. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.